story is told of a happy couple whose blissful marriage was well known throughout their small town. When they celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary, a newspaper reporter asked the secret of their domestic tranquility. Well, the wife explained that it all started back in our honeymoon when we took a pack mule trip to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. Said shortly after we started down, my husband's mule stumbled and Joe took him by the ears, shook him vigorously and said, that's once. We proceeded to go down the hill. Again, the mule stumbled again and Joe jumps off, grabs him by the ear and shakes him again and says, you know, that's twice. And they go about a half a mile further down. This mule stumbles, falls. Joe falls off, jumps up, grabs the mule a third time by the ear, shakes him, says that's three times, reaches in, grabs a pistol out of his pocket and shoots him, kills him. So she said, man, you know, I'm thinking, man, what kind of guy did I marry? And I started to give him a hard time about how he's treating animals and what's his problem. He needs to have more patience. He looked at me, grabbed me by the ear and said, that's once. (laughs) So, well, I I don't know about your marriage, but if I'd ever done something like that to my wife, that's once would have been my famous last words. And speaking of famous last words, the last time we met, we began a series of messages that focus upon the famous last words of the Apostle Paul as they were written to his beloved son in the faith, Timothy. Not only are these words insightful, written with Paul's impending death in mind, but also, more importantly, they're the very words of God that were written through Paul directly to Timothy and indirectly to all God's people in a letter that we know as 2 Timothy. As a reminder, in our last message, which was the first in the series of messages, Paul shared with Timothy four virtues that must be present in the life of every believer who is to finish strong. He said every one of us are to be humble. We should have a spirit, an attitude of humility. The same attitude we learn in Philippians 2. Have this attitude in yourself that was also in Christ Jesus. The attitude of humility, of putting others before our own needs. Not only that, but of walking humbly with our God. You know, the, the Bible tells us that God demands that man that loves justice and mercy and walks humbly with his God. You know, the humility that's found in knowing that he is God and we are not will always keep us in a frame where God will exalt us at the proper time. The Bible tells us that Paul, that God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And that it's a choice on our part to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that at the proper time he will exalt us. You know, the choice of humbling ourselves. And if not, then God will step in and do it for us because there's no better place to be for God's people than walking in humility with God. You know, the second thing is for those who are born again, made alive to God and dead to sin, is the the character trait of loyalty. You'll notice that Paul was loyal from the moment that Timothy had put his faith and trust in Christ until he writes these words to him. Paul was loyal to Timothy and that he was committed to pray for him and committed to continue to see him through this journey of becoming more like Jesus throughout his life. We're born again in a moment in time, and we'll talk more about that in, in, in a few minutes. But at that moment in time where we're born again and we become children of God, there's then a process that takes place where we become conformed to the image of his son. Paul was loyal to Timothy throughout that process he had the privilege to lead him to Christ and then also the continuing privilege of seeing that he grew in his faith 
the dependability that was there when he was committed to him to pray and to be with him and encourage him every time that they were together. The accountability to sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. We're told in the book of Proverbs, one man sharpens another or one brother sharpens another. He was saying that also to kindle afresh or to get fired up again about your faith, you know, not to neglect the spiritual gift that was within him, but to stay fired up and pumped up to continue to do the things that God has called us to do because, you know, at the end of our life, the only thing matters is if we have come to faith in Christ and then walked in obedience with him. Nothing else in this world makes any difference whatsoever. As we, as we lay on our dying bed, we will recognize that that time, as Paul did with his impending death, there is nothing more important than living a life of complete, sold-out, wholehearted obedience to the Lord and for his purposes and for his kingdom because it's his kingdom that will endure forever and this earth and everything in it is fading away. And so Paul, excited to share with his young disciple Timothy that, you know what, don't ever lose track. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil in the Lord is never in vain. Don't get discouraged. Don't get disgusted. Don't get frustrated because people have let you down. You know what, we serve a God who has never let us down. And when we're faithless, he's faithful. When others let you down, God will never let you down. Don't lose sight of who you serve. Be steadfast and immovable. Today, Paul's deathbed insight or wisdom, his famous last words, center on one main idea. As he tells Timothy, he says, Do not be ashamed of the gospel and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not be ashamed. He says, you know, as Paul was looking at his impending death, he realized that, you know what, there's nothing more important than to live a courageous life full of conviction and commitment to the purposes of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, do not be ashamed. And we read these words in 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting with verse 7. We'll pick up the account. As Paul imparts to Timothy some deathbed wisdom, so to speak, or insights as he looks at what's really important in this lifetime. It says, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light, through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason I also suffer these things. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard that which I have entrusted to him until that day. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among who are Phagellus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he has often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and he found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. You know, as Christians, most of us must confess to being ashamed of the Lord at some time or another. And for those of you who doubt that, I will ask a very simple question that I ask of myself, and that is this. 
Have you ever been with someone or a group of people? Have you ever been in a situation where you sensed that the Lord was leading you to share with the people you are with the gospel of Jesus Christ? And yet for one reason or another, you failed to do so. You see, if you've ever been in that position, then you can identify with what it means to be ashamed of the gospel. You know, Paul is telling Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel. And the, the reality of it is, is that every one of us will be tempted to do so. Many of us are more concerned what others think of us. We're more concerned of our standing in our community. We're more concerned how it may affect us in our businesses and what business may, we may lose or relationships that will be hindered by such a testimony. We're afraid that our friends won't have anything to do with us and they won't want to spend any time with us. We're more concerned about those things than we are with being obedient to the leading of God in our life. And if you've ever been there, then I can tell you clearly and plainly that you have been ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I will openly confess before you that those moments have occurred even in my own life. And I've rationalized and justified it. And that, well, I don't know them well enough yet. I need to build a relationship. I need to build a bridge. We need to have something more in common. I don't want to catch them off guard. I don't want to blow them away. I don't want to scare them. I don't want to intimidate them. You know, we need to, you know, and, and I hear these things. And yet at the same time, I ask the tough questions. That's this. How long does it take to build a relationship before you feel confident of not being ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know, it's interesting as we look at this, no matter how gifted a person may be or how well-trained, biblically literate, astute, articulate, and no matter how much opportunity comes our way to be able to share the gospel, if we lack spiritual courage and commitment, we will not speak effectively nor act effectively for the cause of Christ. Paul, in his deathbed wisdom and insight, through the Holy Spirit, inspiration, the very words of God, offers these words of encouragement to Timothy and also to us where he says, do not be ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll talk more as to why that is the case, but at this very time in church history, as, as Paul was writing to Timothy, the previous shame of the disciples was well known throughout church history. That at the cross, every one of them ran away as they cowered and were timid. And they had a spirit of timidity and one of being afraid and they ran from him. The most obvious example is that of the apostle Peter. As he was confronted by a little servant girl and three times he denied even knowing Jesus to the point where he cursed at this little girl who said, but I know you are with him. And he said, you don't even know what you're talking about. Jesus had warned that before the night was over, he would indeed deny him three times. That story was legendary through the early church, but also, more importantly, the story of his redemption was legendary as well. Because though Peter failed at Jesus at a moment in time, Jesus, after the resurrection, came to Peter and said, Do you love me? And three different times asked him the question, affirming the truth that, Jesus, that, that not only did Jesus love Peter, but Peter loved Jesus. And having seen the resurrected Savior and having also experienced the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, Peter went from being a coward who was ashamed of the gospel, ashamed of Jesus Christ, to a man who preached with much boldness and courage. In fact, an example of that is at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. If you'll turn back and look at this extreme uh, example of what we see had taken place in his life, from one extreme to the other, from denying that he knew Jesus to a little girl, to boldly standing before those who had the power to put him to death. And we read these words starting in Acts chapter 2, 
at verse 22, he said, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs with God, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and you put him to death. And God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held by its power. Can you imagine this man who was afraid in front of a little girl now stands boldly before a crowd and says to them, you put him to death by the hands of godless men? You were responsible for that. All of us are responsible for that. It takes boldness and courage to tell another person that it was because of your sin and my sin that all of us are guilty. And because of our guilt, because of our sin, God chose to put Jesus Christ upon a cross to die on our behalf because we were guilty and he was innocent. It takes courage to tell someone they're not as good as they think they are. It takes courage to tell someone not all roads lead to heaven. It takes courage to tell somebody that everything that they have believed all of their life is wrong according to the word of God. It takes courage and boldness to tell them that. And that is why Paul encourages Timothy not to have a spirit of timidity, not to be afraid, because it's only God's truth that can set people free. See, Peter continued to preach the gospel in Jerusalem without compromise and without fear. Everywhere that he went, he continued to tell them the truth. In fact, he spoke to the very same council where outside of those council meetings, he denied even knowing Jesus. And he continued to proclaim Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected. And they told him to stop doing it. And here's the words that he said to them in Acts 4, 19. He says, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and what we have heard. Under threat of persecution, of being beaten and imprisoned, under the threat of even impending death, he said, you know what, whether it is right or not for me to stop preaching, you know, you be the judge of that. But as for me, I will continue to preach Christ and him crucified. Boldly, courageously. You know, and when you think about what Timothy was experiencing at this particular time in in history, in the Roman persecution under Nero, and Paul writing to him in prison with his impending death as a backdrop, it's pretty easy to see how Timothy could become afraid because of the consequences of sharing that message. And yet I ask you, as I've asked myself, how much more accountability do you and I have when the only impending threat that we experience in this country of ours is that someone may not like us. Someone may not like us. Someone may not invite us to their party. Someone may not do business with us. Someone may feel like, you know, we're just not fun to be around anymore. How much more accountability do we have in a country where we have the freedom to confront people with the claims of Christ? And I can understand Timothy saying, man, you know what? This is going to cost me something dearly. But Paul said, don't worry about it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Or what would he exchange for his soul? You know, Timothy in this passage is a reminder to me of what we see as far as Jesus was concerned. Where he said during his earthly ministry, everyone, everyone therefore who shall confess me before men. I will confess him before my fathers in heaven. 
He says, but whoever shall deny me before men, I will deny him before my Father who is in heaven. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, in the glory of his Father and with his holy angels. As I read these words, it's very sobering because the reality of what I read is very simple and that is this. No matter what one may claim as far as being a Christian, our refusal or our fear or our denial of Christ in this world is a reflection of those who are unbelievers and not those who have come to faith in Christ. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. For it's with our heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, but with his lips he confesses, resulting in salvation. How can we say that we have come to know Christ and then be afraid to tell others of the wonderful message that has been entrusted to us? It's very sobering because many, however, have the commitment level of the fellow that I heard of recently in the following story. There was a man, a biker, who walked into a bar and he orders three beers. And the bartender sets him up, one, two, and three. And the man proceeds over a period of time to drink each one of them. He goes up to the bar for a second round and asks for three more drinks. And the bartender said, you know, it would be better if you just bought them one at a time because if, as I draw them out of this tap, they become flat over a period of time. Why don't you just drink them one at a time? And he said, oh, I can't do that because when I left home, my brothers and I agreed that no matter where we go in the world, one of them now lives in Australia, one of them lives in Dublin, Ireland, and here I live in Texas, that wherever we go, we'll drink this way as a reminder of the days that we spent together. The man becomes a regular. He continues to do it over a period of time. Several months go by, a year goes by, and finally he comes in and he only orders two drinks. The bartender sets up two drinks. And he drinks them and he comes back for the second round. The bartender said, I'm really sorry about your loss. And I want to extend my condolences to you. And the man thinks for a second. He's thinking, what's he talking about? And then he begins to realize what's going on. And he begins to laugh. And he said, oh, no, 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 that's okay. We're all still fine. He said, you're all still fine. Then why do you only order two drinks? He goes, well, my wife made me join the Baptist church. But it hasn't affected my brother's. See, many of us, that's our commitment level. You know, we, we try to find ways to rationalize and justify not having a wholehearted devotion to our Lord and to our Savior. You know, that's okay because it hasn't affected them. You know, we can find a way around God's commandments. And what is a funny story is a sad reality for most believers. Jesus warned that he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross daily and follow me denying himself is not worthy of me. He who has found his life shall lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake shall find it. Mark, Matthew 10 verses 37 through 39. See the mark of a true disciple. The mark of a genuine believer is one who is willing to even lay down his very life for the cause of Christ. And I will say this to you. If you and I are not willing to lay down our life for the cause of Christ, we certainly will not be willing to lose some business or friends for the gospel's sake. See, it's characteristic of an unsaved person to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it doesn't subject itself to the law of God. For it's not even able to do so. A Christian's being ashamed of the Lord is caused by, really when you think about it, a shameless self-interest that's unwilling to pay the cost of genuine discipleship. We live in a culture that preaches easy believism. Not really willing to pay any price for the cause of Christ. Anytime we're challenged in an area, we will try to find a way around it. We don't really understand what the Bible teaches as far as discipleship is concerned. The wonderful thing and the good news is this. That though Peter failed Jesus at a moment of time, he was redeemed as he confessed his sin. Acknowledged his his, uh, denial of Jesus Christ. Acknowledged that he was afraid. This big, tough, strong, physical specimen of a man, Peter, who was a fisherman all of the days of his life until he met Jesus, was a man that would be no different than the locker rooms of many of the locker rooms that I've walked into. Men who were 6'5 and 6'8 and 300 and 340 pounds of chiseled granite that are ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I sit and look and go, what an irony that is. You know, to be physically intimidating at sight and yet at the same time to be ashamed of the very gospel. And so while we may be tough on people like that, let's not, let's not forget how many times we have been ashamed of the gospel for we haven't taken advantage of those opportunities as God presented them. Now with all of these things in mind, we're now ready to examine the seven means by which a Christian may guard against being ashamed of Christ as found in Paul's words of wisdom, the inspired word of God to Timothy and to all of us who have come to faith in Christ. The first thing that he points out to him that's very important to recognize and understand is he's saying to Timothy in verse 7, hey, you know what? You need to remember or take a good hard look, tap into the resources that we've been given by God for the purpose of being bold to share the gospel. He says back in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, he says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. These divine resources have been given to all believers at a past moment in time, as indicated by the verb behind the phrase, the verbs behind the phrase, has not given. The tense of this verb shows a past completed action. God has provided for us the resources that we need. All we need to do is to tap into them and utilize them. I'll give you an example that came to mind as I was thinking about this. God has given us at a moment in time, the moment of our salvation, all the resources that we need to be bold to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But many of us don't know that. And so if we don't know that, we don't tap into it, though we have access to it. Give you an example. When I first started working with the angels, I got a media credential. And they give you a media credential, and, and you know, you wear it around your neck, you go in. And and we meet, and we do chapel in an auxiliary locker room off the clubhouse, in between the visiting clubhouse and the angels clubhouse. There's an auxiliary locker room where there's a guard. And walk in there, and that's where we do chapel. Guys would come out, they would know I'm there, and we would know a certain time they would do it. Well, several months went by in, in the first season, and one of the guys that was on the team asked if he could have a tape series. And so I brought the tape series in. I went to Dennis, who's the security guard that's there, and I said, Dennis, can you take this to so-and-so? And he looked at me and said, why, why don't you take it? And I was thinking, well, what do you mean? And he looked at my credentials and said, you can go in there. Uh, really? 
I can go in the clubhouse? Well, yeah. And so then I'm thinking how stupid I was going, hey, can you take these in there for me? You know, hey, you know, I'm kind of tired today and I don't want to walk that far. And it was like, I didn't know that. And so then I went in there and it was like, I didn't know. And no one stopped me. No one said anything to me. I mean, you know, some people really never didn't say anything to me and and other people did. But it was like, I didn't know I could do that. And then I started to go, where else can I go with this? (laughs) No, I'm serious. It was like, well, you can go anywhere you want. I can go in the dugout. Yeah, go ahead. You can go in the dugout. I can go on the field. Yeah, during batting practice, go up on the field. Man, I was like going everywhere. It was great. You know, I was kind of like, you know, I, wherever I went to press box, went up to the radio broadcast booth, the TV booth, just walked around saying hi to everybody. Hey, how you doing? You know, and it's like, you know, and then once I got over that, then I realized, you know, just kind of fly under the radar because that's a lot better way to do things. But, but it was like, man, I didn't realize I had access to all that. You know, and, and, and as Christians, oftentimes we don't realize what we have access to because we're ignorant of what God has to say. We don't check it out. We don't ask. We don't examine the scripture. We don't find out all the privileges. Do you realize the privileges that you and I have as those who are born again by the will of God? We have access to the very throne room. We can enter boldly with confidence before the very throne of God that we can seek, uh, we can seek grace and mercy in our time of need. We have access. And so as we look at this, what he's telling Timothy is that at a moment in time, you may not realize this or you may have forgotten this, but God has given you and I all the divine resources that we need to boldly proclaim Christ to a lost and fallen world. The first resource is he has given us a spirit of power, not of timidity. Now, the word timidity has to do with being afraid. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about being afraid. We should be afraid of God. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We should have reverence and awe of God. We should be afraid not to do those things that are wrong because God will step in and discipline us. There's consequence for our actions. The Bible says don't be deceived. Don't be stupid. You know, don't be foolish. Whatever man sows, he's going to reap. You know, God's not mocked by our behavior. He'll step in and he'll judge us. He'll discipline us. We should be afraid of that and it should motivate us to do the right thing. On the other side of it is... is that this word timidity or fear has to do with being afraid because of a personal price that we will have to pay. I'm afraid to share the gospel because of all the reasons that I've already mentioned. It's a shameless self-interest. It does not have at the forefront the interest of God or the kingdom of God or even the person who is lost that God has brought to us. We would rather allow that person never to hear the gospel... If it means that we may have to pay something personally for the the price to do so. Can you imagine how selfish and shameful that behavior is? That God would bring into our path those who are lost on the way to hell, thinking that they're good enough to get to heaven someday, thinking that all roads lead to heaven. We know the truth, the truth that will set them free from those lies, and we are ashamed to share the truth with them because they may think less of us for some reason or another. How sad is that? But God has given us a spirit of power. Not of timidity, not of fear, where we put the needs of others even before us, as we'll take a look in a second. The divine resource that God has given us, power, dunamis, denotes a great force that, or energy that emerges from within. It has to do with a, a constructive use of power for God's purposes and not for our own selfish means. God has given all believers a spirit of power. See, that's why the Apostle Paul said this. I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
For it is the power of God unto salvation to all those who believe. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God. Think about that. The power of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God, the dynamite of God that blows up hard hearts. The gospel of God, the power of God is the, the dynamite of God that takes a dead person spiritually, dead to God, alive to sin, and makes them now alive to God and dead to sin. It is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. He said, that's why I'm not ashamed. I saw the power of God at work in my own life, he's saying. On the Damascus Road. I've seen the power of God at work in other lives. I saw the power of God work as we see everywhere that we've gone and we preach the gospel. How people have said, oh, that person, that person is hopeless. Nobody's hopeless when it comes to the power of God. Nobody should be, ever be written off when it comes to the power of God. For he has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and also love. God's love, agape love, is that which puts the needs of another person first. Agape love, the Spirit of God has been poured out richly through us and in us and lives through us. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of God and love, His love. God's love considered, you know, think about this. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God so loved the world that He put our needs ahead of His own Son. God so loved the world as we should so love the world that we put their need of salvation before our need of friendship and business and social standing. God so loved the world and so should we because the love of God richly indwells us through the power of the Holy Spirit that he has given us. Also, he said he's given us a resource not only of power and love which puts other people first, but also of discipline. The word discipline has the literal meaning of a secure and sound mind. It also carries the idea of being self-controlled for God's purposes. That God is using the power that he's given us and the love that he has given us and, and, and instilled in us. And a sound mind, a sober mind and a purpose that says that we will be disciplined to use the power of God and the love of God for God's purposes. That we understand what's really important in life and not get hung up on those things that are temporary. A sound mind, a, a disciplined mind, a disciplined mind for the purpose of God. See, power, love, and discipline are resources that enable you and I to guard against ever being ashamed of Jesus Christ. When you're confronted with that leading of God to share the gospel, all one needs to do is pray, God, take this spirit of fear and timidity out of my heart and give me, a, give me, give me access to that power and love and discipline that you have instilled in me the moment I came to faith in Christ. And watch what God does through you. How awesome is that? Now he also goes on in verse 8 and he brings up a second means of guarding against being timid. And, it's, and that's what I would call the reproach of Christ. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 8 it says, Therefore, because of this reason, therefore, what's it there for? Because of what he just said. Because we've got these divine resources available to us, power and love and discipline. Therefore, because we have access to this, they've been given to us at a moment in time and continue to work in the present. He's saying, therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or me, his prisoner. We'll call it the reproach of Christ because it has to do with suffering for the cause of the gospel. You know, we live in a world that has wrongly concluded that all suffering is bad. That if you suffer, you must have somehow along the line done something wrong. And unfortunately, we've bought into that 
But the word of God clearly teaches that that's not true. Case in point. You know, Paul, here's Paul in prison because he was sharing the gospel of Christ. He took a stand for Jesus Christ and was in prison because of it. He suffered because of that. The world looked at him and said, you are foolish. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 21, that, that, that particular passage. Because the wisdom of the world is foolishness of, the, of God. The wisdom of the world is foolishness of God. But, the, but the, the foolishness of God is really the wisdom that the world should be looking to. And that is this. We preach Christ and him crucified. The world we live in says that, that's foolish. It's a stumbling block. It's foolishness. How can a thief, or not a thief, how can a criminal put uh, alongside two thieves be the God of the universe in human flesh? How can someone who was put to death as a criminal be worthy of following? And that was the foolishness that they didn't understand. And yet at the same time, Paul said, you know what though? But that was God's plan. The preordained plan, as we just read in Peter's sermon, that was God's preordained plan. The predetermined plan of God that this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, would be put to death on the cross. That's God's plan to redeem man from the consequences of sin. And I say, praise God for that. Now, the world we live in says, well, that's stupid. Why? Because the world we live in says we should be able to earn our way to heaven. And the Bible says that. Not one, all of us have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. None of our works are, are worthy to be considered before God, for they're always filthy rags and there's nothing good any of us can do. And so the world goes, yeah, but you know what? I'm still going to try it that way. Well, you can try it all you want, but it's God's way or no way. It's God's way or the highway to hell if you choose to somehow or another continue to go that direction. It's only God's way, period. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And a problem that we have is, is that not many of us are willing to suffer for the gospel's sake because we don't want to pay the price of genuine discipleship. Read the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and read the reproach that was there. God is not ashamed to be called their God. Hebrews 11 verse 6, 16. They were tortured, not accepting their release in order that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with a sword. They went about in sheepskin and in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom this world wasn't even worthy, wandering in the deserts and in the mountains and in the caves and holes in the ground. Can you imagine this world put those men to death, those who God used as his messenger to proclaim the truth, men who this world, men and women, that this world wasn't even worthy to look upon, and yet they considered the reproach of Christ more worthy than the temporary pleasures of this lifetime. In Hebrews 11, the words that God brought to mind as I first read this passage was, By faith, when Moses had grown up, Refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Can you imagine? Moses considered the reproach of Christ to be more important to him than all the treasures of Egypt. He considered it a privilege and not a sacrifice to suffer for Christ's sake. We need to get it out of our heads once and for all that's, that God doesn't want his people to suffer. 
And in fact, the reality of it is this. That it's through our suffering that God's strength is perfected in our weakness. It is through our suffering that the world looks at and says, how do you, how do you endure in the midst of your suffering? How do you hold up with everything on the line, persecuted because of your faith? How do you have a peace and joy and confidence and assurance? What is it about you? We're to be light and we're to be salt. We're to draw people to our Savior. And you know what Paul said? Hey, listen, I'm sure you've all heard by now about my circumstances of being thrown in prison. But I just want to encourage you and all the more so that, you know what? God's purposes, His kingdom, His gospel is being advanced because of these circumstances. And you know what? He considered suffering for Christ's sake to be an absolute privilege and not any kind of sacrifice on His part. You realize the, 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 the apostles, when they were beaten, they went dancing and leaping and praising God that God would consider them worthy to suffer for the cause of Christ. Instead of whining and feeling sorry for ourselves, oh, I lost some friends, oh, I lost some business, oh, people think less of me, consider it a privilege. Consider it an honor by God that He considered you and I worthy to suffer for His sake. And then use those circumstances for the advancement of the kingdom of God and His gospel. Isn't that awesome? Don't be ashamed to suffer for Christ's sake. It's God's means of furthering the gospel. It's taught all throughout the Word of God. Let's get over this God doesn't want us to suffer thing and spend a little time in the Bible and go, gee, if God doesn't want us to suffer, I don't understand why He allowed all of His people throughout human history to suffer. Where do we come up with that? That's our Western culture. That's a culture that says, you know what, if it hurts, it must not be right. If it feels good, it must be right. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. Sometimes it's going to hurt. But you know what? No matter how bad it hurts, we have a God whose comfort is greater. And that's really what it's all about. So he tells Timothy, hey, you know what? Remember your calling. Remember your calling. And, and back in, in 2 Timothy again, he says, don't forget. You know, remember your calling. There are some things in life that we should forget. There are other things we should never forget. He's saying, remember your calling. He says, therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering. Hey, now there's a party you probably wouldn't get a lot of RSVPs to. Hey, we're going to have a suffering party for the cause of Christ. Uh, you know, give us a call and RSVP. I'm not thinking I'm available. Although some church potlucks are like that. But that's a whole different story. <laughs> suffering for the gospel according to not yours, but uh, not according to the power of God. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but notice, according to his own purpose and grace which was granted us in Christ Jesus for all eternity. He says, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death, brought life, immortality, delight through the gospel. He's saying that, you know what, we have a holy calling. And the holy calling is it's not by our works, not by our righteousness, not by our efforts, but he has called us, he has chosen us out of this world to be a part of his kingdom, his domain. It's a holy calling. It's for his purposes and by his grace. And never forget that God's grace that's able to save us is the same grace that's able to sustain us in our times of suffering for the cause of Christ. His grace is sufficient. And that's exactly what Paul said. My, you know what, where God answered him, said, my grace is sufficient for you. For it's in your weakness that my power and my strength will be perfected. My grace is sufficient. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. For the purposes of doing the works that God has prepared for us to do before the foundation of the world. 
as people see us, as I mentioned, as light and salt, and a life that's displayed to others, that lives in such a holy manner, meaning that we do that which is right before God. We're committed, we're sanctified, set apart from the world to live in such a manner that's worthy of our calling in such a way that the way we live our life is so attractive to people that they want to know what it is that enables to live such a way. And it opens the door to share the gospel. See, we can't accomplish God's purpose if we're ashamed of the gospel of Christ. His purpose in calling us is so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us from darkness into light. He also goes on and says that there's a realization that must take place, and that has to do with being appointed by God for his purposes. For which I've been appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. This is Paul understanding God's appointing of him as a preacher, apostle, and teacher. For this reason, he says, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. You know, God has appointed each one of us for his purposes to do the work that he has prepared for us to do before the foundation of the world. Now, Paul's appointment was different than ours to the degree that he was appointed a, an apostle and a preacher and a teacher. Not all are appointed apostles, preachers, and teachers. But all of us are given a spiritual gift or gifts. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. At the time you and I come to faith in Christ, we are in, we, God imparts to us a gift or gift that is to be used for his services. We are appointed for this purpose of being used these gifts for the purpose of God. You've got to ask yourself the question. What's your spiritual gift? Now, some people sit and go, I don't know. Well, then I'm thinking this. If you don't know what it is, you're probably not using it. Right? Duh. You know, hey, think about it. So if you don't know what it is, you're not using it. And yet Paul told Timothy, as we saw last time, to stir up or fan up the flame within you. Don't neglect the gift that God has given you for his purposes. Use the spiritual gift or gifts to the glory of God and the furthering of his kingdom. You know, get, get busy doing what God's called you to do, appointed you to do. If you don't know what the gift is, get in the word of God in 1 Corinthians 12 and find out. If you don't know what spiritual gifts are, find a class that teaches, hey, what are spiritual gifts? Go to a bookstore. Men, send your wives, because we know men don't go to Christian bookstores. But, and I told you a long time ago, if you're a single guy, go to a Christian bookstore. But the, the bottom line is, is that, you know, find out what's going on so that you can get busy doing what God has appointed you to do. And it's not a burden to serve God. Number, the, the fifth thing that we look at is this. And I love this because this verse is, is just dynamic. It's powerful. And that's this. The recognition of our security. The recognition of our security. Notice what he says. For this reason I suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed. You know why he's not ashamed? For I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. I am not ashamed of the gospel. You know why? Because I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard that which I have entrusted him against that day. I want to go through this very slowly, but not too slowly. The bottom line is, he says, I know. The word know has an intimate understanding and an intimate knowledge, first-hand experience. What Paul was saying, I know experientially, not only intellectually, but I've experienced, and I know whom I can trust. I know who I can put my faith and trust in. I know where my security lies, for I know in whom I have believed. He's saying that we are in God's hands. And all we have to do is read through the Bible and see the numerous accounts of God delivering His people. 
from persecution and times of distress. Seeing God deliver his people and provide for them, even though they thought they were going to lose everything at that moment that they stepped out to walk in faith and not by sight. Why was not Paul ashamed of the gospel? Because he knew. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. The same word is used here. As God knows our needs even before we ask. As God knows who are his as he calls and chooses them. God's saying, here's Paul saying, I know from an experienced standpoint whom I believe. He says, whom I believe. God is not some great force. God is not some power in the sky. God is not something that's you know, invisible, invisible that we can't imagine or whatever it is. God is a personal God. And he says, and I know in whom I believe. It is a pronoun used of a person. Obviously, God is God, but at the same time, he lets us know him in an intimate, relational way. He's saying, I know in whom I believe. Well, who's he talking about? He's talking about God, the Father, I know in whom I believe. I believe what God had to say about Jesus Christ. I believe Jesus when he tells me I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father but through me. I believe when Jesus said he appointed me an apostle and a teacher and a preacher of the gospel. And that I was going to suffer things for his cause. I believed everything that God has to say because I know in whom I have. And I want you to notice this. In whom I have believed. I spoke to a gentleman not long ago and he said, you know what? I've always believed. And I thought, no, you haven't. That is impossible. You have not always believed. None of us have always believed. It's impossible to have always believed. But I've always believed. No, you haven't. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And until we're convicted by the Spirit of God through the Word of God, we don't know what we've always believed. Now, if somebody tells me, well, as far as I can remember, I've always believed. Now, that's possible. But I would also take it to the next step and say, what is it exactly that you have always believed? And when did you believe it? See, Paul was saying, I know in whom I have believed. It is a moment in time and past that still has a continuing effect in the present and into the future. A moment in time in the past he believed. When was it? Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus. He says, at that moment in time, I believed that I was a sinner. At that moment in time, I believed that Jesus Christ was alive. At that moment in time, I believed that he is the Savior of the world. At that moment in time, I believed that he died on the cross for my sins. At that moment in time, I believed he was raised again from the dead. At that moment in time, I threw myself upon his mercy and confessed him as my Lord and Savior. And it was at that moment in time that God instilled in me, you know, love and discipline and power. At that moment in time, I was born again from above by the will of God, not by my own will, my own works, but by God's grace, we've been saved through faith and not of ourselves. It was at that moment in time. He knew that moment in time, and it troubles me, it concerns me, and it scares me when I hear people say, I've always believed. Then what exactly is it you've always believed, and when did you believe it? Because no one's born into this world with the knowledge of salvation. All of us are born into the world, sinners separated from God, dead to spiritual things, alive to sin. There has to be a moment in time where we're confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it's by faith through, it's by grace through faith, and it's by faith, faith in what? The Word of God. And it's without faith, it's impossible to please God. When did you Come to that crossroads in your life where you recognize what God said is true, that you are a sinner. 
When did you confess your sin before God and believe that God loved you and sent Jesus Christ to this world to die on the, pro- on the cross for your sins? When did you believe He died for you? When did you believe that He rose again from the dead? When did you receive Him as your Lord and Savior? That's the historic, strategic moment in time when a person is born again from above. If you don't know, today has got to be your day. Because the Bible says today is the day of the Lord. And do not, do not lightly take the invitation for salvation. For we do not know if today is our last day. It's appointed for man to die once and then comes judgment. You don't know whether you'll ever have another moment. Today should be your day. Confess your sin. Repent and turn to God and trust that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again from the dead as your Lord and Savior. And the Bible says to those who believe Him, receive Him, He has given the right to be called children of God to those who believe in His name. See, Paul was convinced. He was convinced over a lifetime of seeing God secure him in the most difficult of circumstances. He was convinced that God was with him in prison. He was convinced when God, God was with him when he was beaten. He was convinced that God was with him when he was left dead. He was convinced that God was with him during the four shipwrecks that he experienced, that God's presence was always there. He was convinced he wasn't ashamed because he recognized his security was in God and not in himself. He recognized and was convinced over a period of, of time as he experienced God's mercy, God's comfort, God's assurance in his lifetime that, you know what? Greater is he who is within us than he who is within this world. You know, don't be troubled. In this world, you will experience affliction and, and all kind of evil things will happen to you on account of my sake. But don't worry about it because I've overcome the world. See, he was recognized that. He was convinced of that. And in fact, you know, as we look at this, he says, retain the, sand, sta- the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith which, which in love are in Christ. Retain the retention of sound words. He's saying, you know what? The word of God has got to be the standard by which all of our behavior is measured. The word of God is the standard. He says, retain that sound standard. If you don't want to be ashamed or guard yourself against being ashamed of the gospel, then retain the sound standard. And the sound standard is this. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God and the salvation to to all those who believe. Retain that sound standard. He goes on and then he talks about those who bailed out on him. And as we look at that and see that and we'll go through it the next time we're together, you know, basically what he's saying is this. If you want to be bold in your witness for Christ, Don't hang around those who are cowards. Don't hang around those who are selfish. Don't hang around those who are ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you know what? It won't be long before you learn their ways. And he calls them out and he names them. And he says, you know what? There are some people that bailed out on me. And there are other people. He goes, they're right there with me. You know, last week we learned not to be blood-sucking leeches that drain all the spiritual vitality out of our friends. You know, today as I'm going through this, I'm thinking, you know what, don't, don't be a, a, a phagellus. Not that anybody would want to be a phagellus or a hermogenes. Don't be either of those guys, man, because you know what, they were cowards and they were self-centered. They had a spirit of timidity and they bailed out when persecution came along. You know what, be an onisiferous. If you could say it, be it. But be an onisiferous. In all sincerity, as we close in seriousness, you know, you think about it. The divine resources that God's given us. If you want to guard against being ashamed of Christ, we've been given divine resources, power and love and discipline. 
Tap into it. We have access to it. Don't be timid. Don't be afraid. Don't worry about yourself. Consider others more important. Consider that person you're going to share with, that lost person, more important than what they think of you or their opinions. Consider that more important than anything you can lose in this lifetime. I'm telling you right now, I would lose everything this world has to offer for one person that I know that doesn't know Christ to come to faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. For what does this world have to offer? compared to eternity that is at our disposal at the foot of the cross as we trust in Christ. The reproach of Christ is a privilege. To suffer for Christ's sake is a privilege and not a sacrifice. It is a mentality that we have to do away with in our culture and realize what a privilege and honor it is to suffer for the sake of the gospel. The remembrance of our calling. He has chosen us. He has called us. He has appointed us. The realization of our spiritual duty. The recognition of uh, the fact that, you know, we are secure in Christ. We don't have to worry about anything. There's nothing that can happen to us. Even the de- all the demons in hell and Satan himself cannot touch us unless God allows it for his purposes. We are invincible with God as our protector. The retention of sound doctrine and the restriction of our associations to those who love Jesus Christ wholeheartedly and are committed with encourage and conviction to share the gospel with those God brings into our life. Lead the way. In closing, during the Boxer Rebellion, 1899 to 1900, extreme nationalist Chinese uh, fomented a campaign of terror against officials of foreign governments. Christian missionaries and even Christian uh, Chinese Christians were persecuted. After they surrounded a certain mission station, they sealed all the exits except the, 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 the missionaries. There was one exit that they didn't seal. They placed a cross in the dirt in front of the open gate and told the missionaries and students that were there that anyone who walked out and trampled the cross of Christ would be spared and not persecuted. According to reports, the first seven students who departed trampled the cross and were sent on their way. The eighth student, a young girl, walked out before the cross, knelt down and prayed for courage and strength, stood up and walked around the cross, and she was immediately executed for her act of rebellion to man, but in obedience to God. One by one, 92 students followed her and walked around the cross to their death. One person who is not ashamed of the gospel who is courageous and filled with commitment and conviction, can set a legacy and lead the way for many to follow. God challenged me to be that one person. I challenge you to be that one person in your family and in your business and your community and in your neighborhoods. To be the one person who is willing to pay the price of genuine discipleship, willing to lay down even our life if required of us for the cause of Christ. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Father God, may we become courageous, convicted of your calling in our life to proclaim the excellencies of you who have called us from darkness to light. And God, I think about those who are here today who may be mistaken in believing that they have always believed that is not true. There is no way that any of us can always believe without being confronted by the Word of God and convicted by the Spirit of God for the sin in our life. For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And without faith, it's impossible to please you. God, I pray for those who are here that they would resolve that once and for all of eternity by praying a simple prayer, God, I am a sinner. 
And I know that there's not a time in my life past that I can think of ever coming to this point, and I want to do so today. That I am a sinner, that I'm not righteous, there's nothing good in me, that I've sinned and fall short of your glory. And I believe that you love me in spite of that, that you sent Christ to die upon a cross for my sins. I believe that he died on the cross and took my place. I believe that you raised him again from the dead three days later and demonstrated his power over death and over sin and the ability to impart eternal life to those who believe in him. And Lord, I do that to the best of my understanding right here and right now. For I want to be like the Apostle Paul. I want to know, for I am convinced. For I know in whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to entrust to, to guard that which I entrust this moment in time, my very soul, for all of eternity against that day. God, I thank you for that. Father, I just pray for those who have made such a decision that they would be vocal, as all of us who have will be vocal and not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God. There's no other way by which a dead person spiritually can be made alive other than through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, as we're led by you to share with others that we tap into the power that you've given us and the love that considers others more important than ourselves, and the discipline and sober-mindedness to realize that, you know what, your purposes are bigger than our own. Your agenda is why we're here, to serve you. God, help us this day even to share the gospel with those you bring in our life and from this day forward. And we'll just praise you and give you all the glory because you're the only Savior the world has ever known. You're the only name, the Lord Jesus Christ, that's been given to men under this Son by which men can be saved. And we praise you in his name. Amen.